Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. Why is it some people say, well, last year I had a wonderful experience with God. I met Him at the altars. I feasted on His presence. And they live in last year's meal. We constantly need more of God. There should be a hunger in our hearts for more of Him. It's not sporadic, this hunger. Well, every once a month I get hungry and I go to church. No, it's continual and constant. Physical hunger and thirst is a constant thing in our lives, obviously. We'd die if we didn't nourish ourselves. Pastor Ed poses a question to us today, however. Why is it that we don't have that same need for spiritual nourishment? God's Word, His love, His grace, all these things are essential to our survival in this world. We should never rely on the occasional encounter with Jesus to sustain us. We need to consistently be seeking Him in order to know His plan for our lives and for the world around us. Well, let's join Pastor Ed in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 6, for part one of his message entitled, Those Who Hunger. Matthew, chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Over the past number of weeks, I've met with various people, and I've read Psalm 20 to them. It's a beautiful psalm of encouragement. Sometime you ought to take Psalm 20 and just read over it again and again. There's a verse, verse 4, that reads, May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Isn't that an incredible verse? Well, let me ask you, what's the desire of your heart? What's the longing of your heart? What desire would you ask God for? Your deepest desire is a great revelation of who you are. If you could tell me your deepest desire, it would reveal a lot about you. Alexander McLaren said, What a man strongly wishes is often the revelation of his deepest self and the prophecy of what he will be. I'll read that again. What a man strongly wishes is often the revelation of his deepest self and the prophecy of what he will be. To be a beatitude type of person means that you're going to be poor in spirit. You recognize that you're heaven's charity case, that you have nothing in your hands to commend you to God. Because of that, you mourn over your own sinfulness and the sinfulness of the world. It makes you meek towards God and towards men. And as a result, you look for fulfillment outside of yourself. You hunger and you thirst for righteousness. We were all made by God with a desire for Him. We have a, a vacuum, as it were, within inside of us that only God can fill. 
Oftentimes we try and fill that longing, that spiritual yearning with the wrong things. We try and fill it with false spirituality or with traditionalism or with materialism or with love of this world. But all of those things don't satisfy us deep inside. This desire that God gives us for himself grows, intensifies, multiplies the closer we get to God. In fact, you can see the intensification of this holy desire. Even in the text, it reads, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Notice the words hunger and thirst. It speaks of an intense desire for God. The word hunger means to be famished, absolutely starving. The word thirst means to be parched. It's the picture of someone in the desert longing for a glass of water. If you were in a desert and you were thirsty and you knew you needed a drink, gold wouldn't satisfy you. Pleasures wouldn't satisfy you. The riches of this world, you just turn your back on them. You would want to satisfy your thirst. It's an essential desire that God has created in us. The psalmist felt this in Psalm 42 when he said, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when I go and meet with God. David focused on God. That longing, that hunger, that thirst for God. Have you ever felt that way? In the midst of a worship service, you wanted more of him. At the end of the service, you said, oh my, it's over already. I wish it had gone on longer. Jesus said that we ought to experience that intensity of desire. It's an essential desire. In Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The psalmist said this world is like a desert. It's like a barren wilderness. And only God can satisfy my longing. God alone. As soon as you've been born again, As soon as you become a brand new creation in Christ, you have a desire for God. Suddenly, you want to go to church. I love to be around new Christians. Oh, they want to devour the Bible. They are like Jeremiah says, I found your word and I ate it. There's an excitement about their relationship with Christ. There's a deep desire. That new nature brings with it a hunger, a craving for God. That's a sign that you've been born again. That's a mark that you are a child of God. In 1 Peter 2.2 2 it reads, Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If a person loses their physical appetite, you know something's wrong. 
you know that physically they're having a problem. There's some health issue. And that's true in the spiritual realm as well. If a person begins to lose their spiritual appetite for God, they're no longer desiring the word, they no longer that interested in being in the house of God. They lose that hunger to pray. In fact, it just seems like, oh, the service just, you know, it's too, too long. Pastor, make your sermons 10 minutes, something like that, you know. Uh, there's a problem spiritually. You know, if, if you sit down at a meal at home and all of a sudden the food turns you off, Unless the food is really badly prepared. <laughs> There's something wrong with you inside. And you need to say, oh, what's, what's wrong? A person who loses their spiritual appetite, they're getting sick. The old Egyptians, I believe it was the Egyptians, or one of the Middle East cultures, they used to bury people with food. Now, I would gather if you buried a person with the greatest dessert, a homemade pie, and you would open that casket, I guarantee you, along with the flowers, it would have withered and died. They would never eat it because they're dead. Dead people don't hunger. Alive people do. And they're desperate God. Hungering and thirsting is a sign of being healthy. It's a healthy sign. In the morning when you get up, you have breakfast, and then you have lunch, and you're filled and you feel good about it. But in a few hours, you're ready for dinner. There's this cycle that goes on and on. That's the same spiritually. There would be something wrong with you if you said, you know, last year we had a wonderful Thanksgiving meal, but I ate a lot there. I don't think I'll celebrate Thanksgiving this year. I won't eat anything. <laughs> Why is it some people say, well, last year I had a wonderful experience with God. I met him at the altars. I feasted on his presence. And they live in last year's meal. We constantly need more of God. There should be a hunger in our hearts for more of Him. It's not sporadic, this hunger. Well, every once a month I get hungry and I go to church. No, it's continual and constant. This hunger intensifies with age. In Psalm 84.2, we have a pilgrim psalm. It's a psalm that pilgrims would read when they would go to Jerusalem. When people would come from the diaspora and head to the city of Jerusalem, they would often read the psalm. And people all of their life would anticipate one day going to Jerusalem to see the holy place. And oftentimes they were older. But listen to what the psalm says in verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. On the pilgrimage, the closer we get to that new Jerusalem, the more that inner man begins to just rise up and become stronger. Though the outward man perishes, the inward man is being renewed. And that inner man longs for that city, just like a pilgrim. The closer he got to see Jerusalem, 
the closer he came, the more he longed at being there. And the closer you are to God, the more that longing becomes real in your life, the deeper that desire, the more you want to worship, the more you want to praise, the more you want to draw near to him. Spiritual leader was baptizing one of his converts, and he held him under the water. And time went on. Now, we don't do that here, so don't worry. (laughs) But he held him under the water, and he began the gasp of breath, and the man just lifted him up, and then he put him down again. And then he lifted him up, and the man was struggling. He put him down again. And then finally he got up, and he looked at this spiritual leader, and he said, what are you doing? You're trying to kill me? He said, no, I wanted to just teach you an important lesson. When you want God as much as you want that air, you'll know him. You'll find him. We ought to have this intense desire. That's what Jesus was saying. He says, hunger and thirst. He picked out two words that are basic to our nature. When a person is hungry, what do they think about? Food. I remember when our children were young, and um, I think Missy's was, her favorite was McDonald's at that time. And, you know, we'd be driving in the car, and she'd, Mickey D's, McDonald's. And then Ryan would say... And I said, no, no, we got to get to our destination. And for the next half an hour, an hour, all you heard about was because they're hungry. (laughs) There ought to be that spiritual hunger in our lives that God becomes the focus. E. Stanley Jones said this. This desire for righteousness becomes a hunger that eats up the lesser hungers of one's life. Until the man himself is eaten up with all this all-inclusive hunger. He begin to hunger for God so much that that takes precedence over every other desire and hunger in your life. Our hymn writers put it this way. More about Jesus in his word holding communion with my Lord, hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful saying mine. And the chorus says, more, more about Jesus, more, more about Jesus, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. The attitude is, Lord, I can't get enough. The second point, not only the intensification of holy desire but the aspiration of holy desire. In Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. People hunger and thirst for a lot of things. Oh, let me have this spiritual experience. And they go from meeting to meeting to hear preacher after preacher, service after service, looking for some high Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who hunger for some spiritual high. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can't satisfy your life on the husk of this world like the prodigal son did. 
He realized when he came to himself that all he needed was in the Father's house. Isaiah poses this question to God's people, and I pose it to you. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Why do we try and satisfy a spiritual hunger through earthly means? It doesn't work. Terry L. Johnson rightly says concerning this term righteousness, the righteousness we are to seek is God's righteousness. And God's righteousness can only be found in God. So really when Jesus hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's the idea of God. He is the righteous God. I recognize I'm poor, inadequate in myself, and I need something greater than myself. I need God. We see this in the life of Moses. We see it in his cry when he said, Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I might know you. Because of our fallen nature, we tend to feed on the wrong things. Jesus met a woman like that in John chapter 4. She was trying to fill the emptiness inside with relationships. And five times she had been married. And none of those relationships filled her deepest need. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Why are we so mesmerized by the rich and famous? It's not found in a mansion on earth. It's not found in a bank account. It's not found in a great stock portfolio. Elvis Presley, we're all familiar with him. He understood the Christian message. He was familiar with it. But he tried to fulfill that desire through materialism and sensuality. In his first two years of stardom, it was estimated that he earned approximately $100 million. And that was a lot of money back then. He had three jets, two Cadillacs, a Rolls Royce, a Lincoln Continental, a Buick, and a Chrysler station wagon, a Jeep, a dune buggy, and a converted bus and three motorcycles. Now, his favorite was his Cadillac limousine. On the top, it was of pearl white. The body was sprayed with 40 coats of prepared paint that included crushed diamonds and fish scales. Nearly all the metal trim was plated with 18 karat gold. Now, if you had the privilege of sitting inside of his car, you would see two gold telephones, a gold vanity case containing a gold electric razor, and gold hair clippers, an electric shoe buffer, a gold-plated television. Elvis Presley is legendary for his sensuality. Those most familiar with him share with us that he died from his appetites for drugs, for experiences. It left him empty and lonely and miserable. 
And it leaves everyone empty and lonely. Because you can only be happy Jesus' way. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn over their sins. Blessed are the meek. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. As soon as you put right, as soon as you put happiness first, you have the cart before the horse. Happiness is a byproduct of living a beatitude type of life. Happiness is a result of walking in obedience to God, a relationship with God. And Jeremiah the prophet bemoans the people of God when he says, my people have committed two sins, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cistern, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God speaking through Jeremiah looks at his people and says, you've done two evils, you've forsaken me, and you've dug out your own wells. Listen, there is only one well that will give you satisfying water for your soul. It's called the well of salvation. Nothing in this world will satisfy you. Once you get it, you want something else. Once you've arrived, you realize it's not enough. God wants us to know that he has a wanted sign out in his office. It's wanted, full-time employees. God does not want part-time Christians. God does not want part-time followers. He wants those who long for him with a hunger and with a thirst. It's a desire to know God, but it is also a desire to be like God. In Matthew 6.33 it reads, But seek first the kingdom of God, and notice this, and his righteousness. That's what he's saying. Seek his righteousness. In Matthew 5-7, we have Jesus interpreting the Ten Commandments, interpreting the Old Testament, he tells us what righteousness is like. He tells us it's not enough not to take a knife and stab a man, but if you have murder in your heart. It's not enough to say, well, I haven't slept with anybody but my spouse. If you lust in your heart, after someone else that's not your spouse, you've already, in God's sight, violated his commandment. The Pharisees were content with merely outward performance. Jesus wanted us to live ethically moral lives on the outside, but also on the inside. That's why he said in verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's an amazing statement. Amazing. These Pharisees gave of their tithes. And they were scrupulous in their giving. These religious leaders were scrupulous in obeying the law and keeping all sorts of traditions. But deep in their heart, they weren't changed. Deep where no one saw them, they were still filled with sin. Jesus called them whited sepulchers. See, God is not only concerned outwardly that we do the right thing, but inwardly we're the right people. 
The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 is one of the most well-known portions of Scripture in the whole of the Bible. In this text, Jesus talks about loving our enemies, fasting, and properly judging. Each day here on Voice of Faith, Pastor Ed will be teaching through the Beatitudes. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. There you can find today's message. The only thing you need to remember is today's date. Again, to stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Voice of Faith, and to access the archive of messages, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Voice of Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Voice of Faith.